welcome to the Progression Health Podcast. This is episode 49. Back on the podcast is Dan Feldman. Dan, do you want to introduce yourself? Sure. Um, yeah, so I'm Dan. I am a registered dietitian. I have my master's degree in human nutrition, um, and I am also a recreational uh, competitive powerlifter. Um, I have a, a full-time private practice, a virtual private practice. Um, you know, I work with uh, clients in the United States who uh, take their health insurance, working, you know, whether it be weight loss, you know, muscle gain, other, you know, um, um, conditions that, that people need, you know, nutrition help for, um, also a personal trainer. Um, and I mean, I guess that's just me in a very brief nutshell. Yeah, one of the good guys in the, the fitness industry, I would say. So, Dan, the the whole using your health insurance for uh, working with a dietitian back in Ireland, that's not really heard of. You know, it's I I even feel like in the US, it's kind of a newer type of trend. Is is that fair to say it's a newer trend? And um, how does it work exactly? Like, so does someone need a diagnosed condition to work with you, or is it just a case of I have health insurance? Yeah, I'll work with Dan. So. If I were to get into the, the details, it would take a long time and it would bore all of your listeners to death. So I'm not going to do that, but it's newer in that. Uh, so you may be familiar with something called the Affordable Care Act. Uh, it was passed a, a little over a decade ago in the United States. Basically with that, um, services, healthcare services that are considered preventative, such as you know annual doctor's visits and vaccinations, uh, if you have health insurance, uh, like a standard type of health insurance, uh, they're covered at no cost uh, to, to the consumer. And um, uh, nutritional counseling from a dietitian is considered preventative. Now, what kind of diagnosis you need and, and you know referrals and how many kind of visits really depends on the plan. It depends on the health insurance company. Like I said, I'm not going to get into too much details about that. Um, but yeah, for many people in the United States, um, for, for, probably for the majority of people who have regular health insurance, essentially, they, they can see a dietitian um, without uh, paying out of pocket. Um, but again, it, might, it may depend on, on, on certain diagnoses. Um, like I said, if I, if I were to get into more detail than that, it would, it, it, it would probably be super boring, but yeah. Interesting. So something I was thinking of in my work uh, recently, just as a one-to-one personal trainer, is that personal training is a little bit of a luxury, right? So it's like, obviously, there's there's a barrier, there's a monetary barrier to it. Um, and like to be able to help most people, it's quite tricky, you know? So yeah. uh, would, would you think that um, help to work with a dietitian through your healthcare, is that like, uh, is that more of a luxury or... Um, is it kind of open to everybody, do you think? I think it's more open to everyone than, you know, personal training might be um, because a lot of people in the United States, probably most people do have health insurance in some form, you know, whether it be through their job or if they buy it on the, the public marketplace or something like that. Um, so it's definitely accessible to a lot more people than paying for something, you know, just out of pocket, like personal training or a nutrition coach who's not, you know, through insurance, um, you know, but that said, like I said, there are certain kind of insurance plans where maybe it's not covered, um, you know, and, and not everyone has health insurance. So, so, um, it's, it's not completely inclusive, you know, but I, I do think it's, it's, um, you know, it has a lower barrier to entry financially. Uh, which is something that's you know important to me to be able to help people who might not be able to afford paying lots of money to see a dietitian, um, you know, because it's it's important, you know, um, you know, especially for people who who you know may have a lower income who can't afford to see a dietitian, they need to eat healthy too. Absolutely, yeah. Like as in, uh, health is available to everybody. Yeah. Uh, so just out of curiosity, just because maybe I'm a bit ignorant, uh, how? commonly known is it that people can use their health insurance to work with a dietitian such as yourself like is do the majority of people know is it only the minority a lot of people don't realize you know honestly and oftentimes people are surprised you know i'll put on my instagram like hey i you know accept health insurance you know if you're interested in scheduling an appointment more and more and people are like i could do that you know i had no idea so, so and and also a lot of dietitians in the United States don't accept health insurance because the process of, of doing so as a dietitian 
can be a, a pain in the butt, you know, to, to do all the paperwork, to get, um, you know, credentialed with, with insurance companies. Uh, it, it can be an, an arduous, a difficult process and, and learning how to bill claims and all of that stuff. So, so a lot of dietitians don't do that. Um, but yeah, people, a lot of people are surprised that that's a thing, you know, that someone uh, who has health insurance can, can see me. I've got, I've got a number of clients who see me, you know, every week or every other week who pay nothing. I mean, they pay their health insurance premiums, but they pay me nothing. Um, and I get paid by their health insurance companies and I get paid well, uh, by their health insurance companies and they can see me every week, which is, which is, I, I think is, is, is absolutely incredible. And it's something that I think more dietitians in the, in the United States, uh, should take advantage of. Great. Yeah. And that I'll make a bit of a, an over assumption here, but you're keeping people who could potentially go to hospital out of hospital and also improving their health, having a positive impact on their health based on how knowledgeable and, and skilled you are. So that's like, that's a, it's a win-win. Yeah. That's the idea. That's the whole idea of the affordable care. At least this aspect of the affordable care act is having more of an emphasis on preventative coverage, you know, because in the past in the United States, there was more kind of like a, a focus on, on, you know, people who are already sick, you know, but if we can prevent, you know, uh, long-term illness, you know, and, and I mean, nutrition is an essential part of, of, you know, preventing, you know, uh, later health burdens, heart disease, diabetes, you know, obesity, all of that, that stuff. Um, I mean, it saves the healthcare system money in the long term and obviously improves people's quality of life, people's quality of life by having that preventative, you know, focus. Yeah, that's a really good uh, way to look at it. Um, Prevention is better than the cure. Isn't that how it goes? Mm -hmm. So uh, something like that, something like that. Right. So who do you typically work with then, uh, given that you've just mentioned preventative? So uh, what's your typical client look like? Yeah, so it's largely people who have body composition or or you know strength goals sometimes too. So I mean the most common is you know weight loss, fat loss, you know, or people who do want to you know uh, need nutrition guidance for for you know uh, you know building muscle muscle or or uh, strength or improving you know athletic ability stuff like that because you know I do have the interest there. I'm a competitive powerlifter personal trainer. Um, but I do have people come now and then who have, you know, a bit more specific issues such as diabetes or, you know, people who have a history of disordered eating, you know, sometimes I'll work with them to improve their relationship with food and develop, you know, a, a kind of a healthier, uh, you know, eating pattern there. Um, but, you know, in general, the majority, it's probably, you know, some version of, of, of fat loss, you know, or, or weight loss, you know, or maybe kind of related issues, triglycerides, um, you know, uh, reducing blood cholesterol, um, things like that. Brilliant. So it's kind of like anyone with health insurance who's able to be covered to work with a dietitian such as yourself, would you be confident to say you, you could help them improve their nutrition for almost most cases? Maybe there's some exceptions. Yeah. Yeah. So, so if, if, you know, I'm in, and again, I don't want to get in the details, but if I am in network with their insurance and their insurance covers it, um, you know, I just think I can be of help to most people who, who, uh, need it. And if not, I can refer, you know, I, I've, you know, other, I've plenty of, of other dietitian contacts of other dietitians who accept various health insurances, like, you know, or, or if someone has an eating disorder, you know, I may refer them to a dietitian that specializes in that, you know, or certain G, uh, gastrointestinal issues. Um, but yeah, I mean, the idea is to, to, you know, um, have healthcare be, be a bit more affordable. Brilliant. Yeah. I can attest to your referral links. I had, uh, Dr. Dahl on for the vitamin D, uh, episode a couple, yeah. couple of months back. So, um, Excellent. and telehealth then basically, so you can do a virtual, you, you could consult with any, with someone anywhere in the U S provided they were covered and, and help them as well. Yeah. So then there's, there's some more kind of nuances there whereby different states in the United States have different laws regarding licensure. Uh, so, you know, I'm licensed in the state of New York. Um, there are certain states, you know, such as California, where you don't need a California license, if I'm remembering correctly, to actually practice there. So if I see a patient via telehealth, telehealth, um, and they're located in California at the time of the, the service, it's considered, uh, it, it technically counts as me performing that service in California. 
you know, since California doesn't require licensure, uh, um, it's fine. Whereas if it was a state like South Carolina, it does require licensure. I would legally need to have a license in South Carolina to perform uh, to to perform medical nutrition therapy in that state. Now, again, it's it, things get really complicated there, but so it, it's a, it depends on the state. Um, and then even with licensure, there are a lot more technicalities. Uh, which I won't get into, but people in, in various different parts of the country, you know, I can, I can work with via telehealth. Yeah. Okay. So if someone's listening and they're looking to improve their health and they live in the U S and they also have, uh, health insurance potential, it's potentially worth looking into working with you because you'd be able to help them, uh, regardless of, uh, their nutritional challenges yeah. by the sounds of it. So that's great. Yeah. Yeah. So what I'm thinking of uh, next is just kind of getting into a specific situation. So right now I'm going to go back to tracking my macros, right? And uh, basically I have my powerlifting goals, my running goals, and I'm like, right, it's not so much physique related that I'm going to track my macros, but I'm going to do it for uh, performance. So like, you know, if I have these kind of goals, which are like long-term and I'm really committed to, to do them justice, I want to uh, get the best bang for my book, we'll say. So um in terms of tracking macros, do you think that a person, let's say a hypothetical client or clients you've worked with, you can track macros without having the effects of like rigid dieting that come with it? Like, is there a way to kind of have the benefits of tracking macros with almost next to no side effects? Or is it just a given that you're going to have like maybe obsessive thinking around food and stuff like those side effects? Yeah, so I'm going to give you a, a, a real kind of Top out answer, but then I'll kind of follow it with some more nuanced explanation. The answer is that it depends. It really depends on the person. And as a practitioner, so hypothetically, I was working with you and you wanted to track macros for, for, you know, performance goals. It's really up to me as a practitioner and as us, you know, kind of working collaboratively to determine whether that is a, a good approach or whether it would lead to, you know, obsessive thinking and stuff like that, you know. Uh, so it really depends on the person. And I do think for many people, um, Tracking macros can be done in a way that is, you know, not harmful to psychological health. Um, you know, I think a lot of that comes down to having a flexible, um, you know, mindset rather than a rigid mindset. You know, for example, if you, um, you know, uh, you know, maybe rather than trying having to hit every macro to the gram, you know, maybe we have ranges, you know, or maybe it's specifically calories and protein that we're kind of more focused on, you know, um, you know, and maybe um, you know, we, uh, you know, we don't necessarily feel the need to track every gram of rice, you know, we can allow a little bit of, you know, wiggle room to or, or, you know, just kind of going along with my last point, if we do go over the targets, we don't, you know, um, you know, try to overly restrict the next day, um, you know, and, and we still uh, have some sort of like routine in place, you know, a lot of people will just track macros and just kind of eat whatever as long as it's within their macros. You know, I would say for many people, it probably makes sense to have some semblance of a meal or snack routine just to have some regularity there and consistency. Um, but again, it depends. You know, for some people, macro tracking will will really not be a great fit. Uh, for other people, it works wonders, you know, and, and, it, and it really, like I said, it really depends on the individual. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you got to take it on a case by case basis. So something I was thinking of just kind of considering tracking macros before I did is I'm like, so there is the potential that being more focused on your food by tracking your macros in my case, because so I basically tracked my macros before in the past and I felt like I was at risk of like disordered eating. You know, I would say I didn't have a full blown eating disorder. Right. But I became like so aware of my food and I became like, like I, I definitely binge ate a few different times and I was like, this is not what I want my nutrition to look like. So yeah. um, basically I was kind of thinking, right, I could try and work through it by tracking my macros. Right. But then also at the same time, it's like, who's to say that, you know, people who are completely unaware of their nutrition don't have like uh, eating disorders as well, you know? So it's kind of like um, the point I'm trying to make here is like, you know, there might be eating disorders, Someone might have eating disorder, an eating disorder, right, without uh, tracking at all. And, and they might just be blissfully unaware and have poor nutrition. Or someone might have the opportunity to work through that eating disorder by tracking their macros. Does that make sense? 
I think so. I think so. So it's basically that there might be kind of the underlying uh, disordered eating there, you know, and, and it might not be the, the uh, tracking macros like causing it per se, but for some people it can kind of exacerbate sort of existing issues there. One thing I will say is I, I, I for, for, I think in, if someone has an eating disorder, because an eating disorder is a diagnosis, they should not be tracking macros. You know, they should be working with a someone who specializes, a dietitian and therapist who specialize in, you know, disordering uh, eating disorder treatment. Um, and that I, I would not involve tracking macros. And people who have a history of eating disorders or disordered eating really ought to be careful. I don't want to say they should never, but, but, uh, you know, track macros, but just, just need to be careful. You know, we'd probably do well, you know, working with, if they do want to track macros, you know, you know, maybe touching base with the practitioner, you know, just, just to, to, you know, make sure, uh, cause I do think that for people who do have a history of, of an eating disorder, you know, or disordered eating, um, it, it can be easy for, you know, tracking macros to turn into an excessive focus on extrinsic um, eating cues rather than intrinsic eating cues, you know, um, which I think is is not a good thing, particularly for people who have that, you know, disordered eating or eating disorder history. Yeah, absolutely. Getting getting too caught up in what's going on externally. Um, and I will say then just in my own experience that I tracked macros, I became more aware of food and my nutrition. And then I was able to eat intuitively based on how I felt. Um, like I came out the other side with a much better uh, relationship with my food. So, you know, yeah, it, it's definitely not a case that you track your macros and you develop an eating disorder, but it, it can, yeah. you can be, you'll definitely become more food focused. Um, so just out of uh, kind of curiosity, what do you do for your own nutrition? So you're like, you're like the nutritional expert, right? So um, do you kind of advocate for intuitive eating as the gold standard for nutrition? Do you try and do that yourself? What What do you do? Well, so I don't advocate one thing or another for being a gold standard um, of, you know, because because again, I think just what how people should approach their nutrition is very individual specific. I personally do track, um, you know, my macros most of the time. I, I track macros more so with a focus on, on ballpark calorie range ballpark uh, protein range to making sure I'm getting enough carbs and fats, you know, more so just to support my training. Um, I'm also a pretty qu quantitative person, you know, I like numbers, um, you know, so that's what I do, uh, but also paying mind to, to my internal eating cues as well. Um, you know, and obviously food quality, eating a lot of fruits and vegetables, you know, and, and stuff like that. Uh, so nothing too fancy, but again, that's just what works for me. Um, you know, what works for other people and just, really really just it depends on the individual yeah it, it's making me think that if uh what someone is doing with their nutrition isn't working it's definitely uh worth trying something different like intuitive eating like tracking macros or whatever you know just being conscious about what you're doing to try something different because uh it's it's very possible to have like a really good relationship with food where you're happy with how your physique looks and you're happy with you know the satiety and the fullness you're getting from the food and, and being healthy you can kind of uh is it fair to say that it's a reasonable goal for a lot of people to have like a, a healthy relationship with food and with their body? I do think that that is a reasonable goal for most people is to have, you know, a healthy relationship with food and a healthy relationship with their body. I think that's, I mean, I think that that's something that really everyone should strive for. And that looks different for different people, um, you know, but at the end of the day, you want to be eating in a way that supports your physical health and, and your mental health too. And, and, you know, if, if, um, you're eating in a way that adversely affects your physical health, um, you know, or adversely affects your mental health or really, you know, where that creates uh, a, an excessive amount of food focus or really takes away from your life, you know, um, then that's where I think people can can run into trouble. And I think, you know, more generally, I, I see it a lot with people who have, you know, ambitious fitness goals. It's easy to you know, cause, cause fitness should enhance our life. Right. Um, and I think it's easy, particularly for people who have aggressive fat loss goals or really, really, really ambitious muscle and strength goals. It can be easy to lose sight of the bigger picture, you know, and to become, you know, overly, uh, anxious or overly kind of concerned with our appearance, for example, our level of leanness or, or, you know, how much muscle we have. Cause, 
like I said, that stuff should enhance our quality of life. Uh, so, so that's something, you know, we really need to keep in mind. Yeah, absolutely. It, sh- it definitely should be additive and not subtractive for, for our quality of life. And it really can be. That's kind of why I'm so passionate about exercise is that exercise really, you know, when it comes down to it, it, it enhances my life. Um, so I'm just thinking of my own experience with clients and, uh, in one to one training. Typically, a lot of their goals are physique related, you know, and I'm making a big push now to try and get people sort of to think more like, I, f- I feel like a physique goal is like external and trying to internalize their fitness and think about like, what does it do for their internal, you know, their, their, uh, their mindset and their mood and stuff like that. Um, would you, what, what's kind of like a typical like reason that people want to change their nutrition? Um, and I say that as well with the kind of the current nutritional environment or the, the landscape is that like, you know, roughly 60% of Americans are like overweight. So it's kind of, it's only natural that they want like fat loss is a, is a common goal. But uh, do you see that with your clients um, who come to you for your, your dietitian skills or is it something different? Yeah. So, I mean, there's a lot of reasons why people might, you know, want to, you know, enhance their, you know, or, or change their nutrition habits. Um, I mean, certainly it is common for people to want to look differently um, you know, for good or for bad, you know, they want to be leaner, um, you know, to be more confident or, or stuff like that. But, you know, then I, I think a lot of people, you know, especially if they're folks who are, who are a little bit older, um, you know, they, they, they may be a little bit more health focused, you know, wanting to, you know, live to see their, their kids or grandkids, you know, graduate college, you know, and, and not wanting to die of like a heart attack or wanting to prevent diabetes, you know, cause, cause that's something that, um, you know, uh, a, a lot of us kind of don't think about, but that's, you know, something that is really closely tied to, you know, obesity and our eating habits and can have disastrous effects on your quality of life or, you know, people with, you know, same thing kind of with, with strength and fitness, you know, some people do want kind of the muscles just to, to, you know, be aesthetic, you know, but also people want to feel stronger. People want to be able to carry groceries, so there's a lot of different reasons. And, and that's something I think it's also important as a practitioner when you're working with a client to, you know, always revisit that kind of w- what someone's why is, or there might be multiple whys there, you know, because inevitably, uh, whether you're working on your own fitness or nutrition, or you're working with someone else, there will be obstacles, there will be roadblocks. And, and, and for that reason, it's really important to have that your why really, really, you know, um, uh, clear to you. And honestly, I think that goes, goes for, for really any ambitious goal that you might have, be it fitness, you know, or nutrition or be it, you know, with your career or financial goals or whatever else, you know, you really, it's very important that, that we know why we're doing it, you know, cause I'm, I'm sure many of us have been in a situation, maybe it's with fat loss or, or, you know, whatever it is where we're working really hard and, and it, we're just kind of demotivated to do it. Um, you know, we, we kind of forget why, you know, we were doing it in the first place. Like I know, uh, um, before the podcast, we were talking a bit about, you know, posting on Instagram, you know, and how a lot of, you know, influencers or people who want to, you know, grow their Instagram following will, will just, you know, they'll post because they feel like they have to, you know, and they have to grow a following. And, and it's easy to forget why, like, why are we, why, why am I posting on, on social media in the first place? You know, is it because I want to have 10,000 followers? So my ego feels good and I feel better about myself. You know, is it because I want to get more clients? Is it because I just enjoy writing and getting creative and stuff like that? You know, um, so, so I know that was a little bit of a tangent, but um, you know, I think it's just really important to, 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 to always know why we're doing things, especially when we're working really hard towards something, um, because there will be with, if, if it's a goal that's really worth achieving, um, it, there will be times that you don't feel like doing the work that you need to do. And that's when you need to know, okay, what is my why, you know, cause it's easy to forget. Absolutely. Yeah. Very easy to forget. And I think, uh, with the time of year that we're in where people are setting goals, you know, like the new year's resolutions and stuff like that. It's like, uh, it's, it's very common for people to set ambitious goals. Um, but if you haven't really thought about why you want to build muscle, lose body fat, improve your relationship with food, it's very easy to fall off, uh, the, the path because, you know, uh, change is really, really difficult. And that's like something that people, it's, it's very easy to forget when you get caught up in a trend like, uh, new year's resolutions. 
Um, yeah. Yeah. So then, you know, just kind of reflecting a little bit uh, on the on the previous year that's gone by, I like to kind of recap. So what was uh, the biggest health lesson that you learned, Dan, in uh, 2022, if uh, anything at all? Yeah. So this is this is very specific to me. Okay, I'm not saying that this is like, I don't mean this is like a lesson that everyone should take, you know, because I think different people, people need to hear different things at different times, you know, in their life. But, you know, in 2022, I work, you know, I'm just a kind of person I work, I'm a, I really like work a lot. I, I just, I'm kind of, a, I guess, like a type A, high strung, I work, you know, and, and, you know, I just like pride myself in working a lot and working hard and doing things well. Uh, which is great. You know, it helped me build, you know, a very successful business and, you know, the Instagram stuff and, and, you know, powerlifting and all this other stuff. But something I've kind of really been reflecting on over the past few months is not taking life too seriously. Um, Cause you know, I mean, working is important and, and, you know, uh, whether it be kind of working your fitness goals, health goals, career, obviously finances and stuff, but I know, at least for me, I have a tendency to take myself really seriously and take take my goals as though they are like the be all end all. And and um, you know, I think it's easy to forget that we're not the center of the universe, you know. And um, most people don't care exactly how much I deadlift, you know, or or whether my how good my, you know my squats look this morning, or you know whether I went over on my calories a little bit. And and you know, I think it's important to. Something I've I've been you know working on really is to laugh a little bit more, laugh at myself, you know, um, you know, being taking some time to actually enjoy life and 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 just enjoy the simple pleasures in life, you know, um, is really really I think really important, um, you know. Um, also, and I know we talked about this a little bit off here, spending a little bit less time on social media, I think, is a is a good for me for me uh is a, is a good thing uh because i i and i think i've posted about this it's it's i think our natural tendency to compare ourselves to those who are around us you know and and what is social media but a giant highlight reel you know i get to choose what i post i get to choose what i put on my re- on my stories on 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 my posts you know reels whatever it's all carefully curated to to look a certain way you know, and, and oftentimes when we're scrolling on social media, it's not when we're out enjoying life, it's when we're bored, you know, maybe we're not feeling the best or, or you know, um, what have you. And it's very easy to get sucked in to see someone's stories or see their physique or see, you know, them talking about how successful they are in their, their private practice or their coaching or lifting or whatever. And it's easy to compare ourselves how we are in that moment to what that person is posting then in that you know, can really do a number on your mental health. So, you know, again, for me, not taking life quite as seriously, spending some time to relax, you know, um, spending a little bit less time on social media. Um, Yeah. Yeah, really good. I feel as though, uh, I think it's the quote, it's like, know thyself comes to mind. So it's kind of like, if you know your own strengths and weaknesses, for example, you know, for me, I can tend to be a bit too food focused. if If I know that going into like, for example, a meal, then I can more effectively manage that situation. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's a, it's a, it's a funny coincidence, excuse the pun, but you uh, mentioned, you know, laughter and I was just putting together like a blog post, you know, I I probably won't put it out, but I was just looking, I was like, I wonder what the connection is between laughter and health. And there's a lot of research on it. Um, And I feel like laughter is like curative, you know, it's like um, your health can be so many different things. Right. So that's like some, some really important points there. Um, Yeah. just going back to, you know, goal setting um, and kind of the process of setting a goal. Like, let's say, for example, you have a new client and they're like, if this is my goal, um, you, ha- you had a post basically, uh, when's the last time you broke down your goal and asked yourself why it's important to you? Um, yeah. So can you talk a little bit about like what's a kind of a process or uh, a framework you would use with a new client um, and maybe even give like a kind of some common goals that they would come to you with if there is any kind of, you know, uh, commonalities there yeah so i mean usually when when i have uh you know a new client i will you know on my intake forms ask them 
uh, you know, what prompted you to schedule the appointment, you know, and then I'll, I'll, I'll have them list at least three, you know, goals in order of importance. Um, you know, and then when I meet with them for the first time, I try and really dig deeper into that and see what their motivations were for scheduling the appointment, you know, what kind of made them, uh, you know, uh, decide to, to want to work with me, you know, where, where that kind of motivation is coming from. Um, and really, really kind of, uh, you know, emphasize that and emphasize that sort of motivation and, and, um, you know, really, uh, you know, really work from there, you know, and, and using, you know, motivational interviewing to really sort of emphasize, you know, that, uh, you know, that motivation that someone has to change, um, you know, because like I said, it's, it's people are going to encounter obstacles so it's very important that we emphasize that motivation and um you know really highlight you know what we call change talk um you know so if i have a a um you know if i you know say we're working together and you've got a goal of you know i don't know you want to you know that's, that's food focused I don't, I don't want to think about food that's what i want to do Okay, so so if you want to be less uh, food focused, I would probably ask you, you know, a bit more about that and a bit a bit, you know, kind of like, well, well you know, what, what makes you want to be a little bit less food focused and, and, you know, kind of seeing sort of what you say there and hearing a little bit about your experience about how, you know, just make it up. Maybe you're talking about how in the past you, you have been really food focused and really tied to your phone and, and tracking macros and it made you know, social events more difficult, you know, for example, or made it, you know, difficult to, you know, enjoy, you know, uh, uh, you know, your nephew's birthday party or something like that. So, you know, kind of emphasizing that and, and um, really just, just, just getting at that and, and really, you know, um, uh, you know, kind of emphasizing that change talk before we uh, create, you know, or, or discuss some some short term and long term actionable goals, process goals, um, you know, that will get us there. Um, hopefully that that makes sense. It's a little bit hard to describe, you know, just kind of off the cuff, but it, it usually goes something along those lines, you know, really emphasizing someone's honest motivation to change. And you know, treating someone with, you know, um, you know, respect and compassion while, yeah, really sort of emphasizing that, that, that motivation to change and, and, you know, um, identifying barriers, um, you know, as they come up. So, um, hopefully that makes sense. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, you want people to be clear on why they want to change because there will come a time where that will be almost demanded of them. You know, for example, if it, let's just use the hypothetical situation of me with being food focused and then I was in a social situation and I'm like, I have this goal to have a better relationship with food, but I'm in a social situation. Why am I actually putting myself through this? So if I was very clear on that from working with you, it would hopefully make the situation easier and, uh, I like that, uh, the change talk. That's a really good thing to look for. Um, and then also the, the positive regard as well, because, um, you know, who's, who's to say whose goal is better than someone else's. So it just makes me think of, uh, given the kind of the current state of affairs, 60% of people are overweight. Um, and a lot of people want to just simply lose body fat. Um, I, I've, I've kind of noticed myself. I don't know if you've noticed this, but a lot of people want to lose body fat because they think it'll make them happier. That's what I kind of hear. And I could be wrong. Maybe it's, you know, I'm not doing enough work to actually dig deeper, like you mentioned. But let's just say, for example, you have a client whose goal is, is fat loss and you dig deeper and they believe, a, a person believes that if I lose 10, 20, 30 pounds, I will be happier. What would you do in a situation like that? Just because I ask, in my experience, when I've been lean or when I've lost body fat, it hasn't made me happier. So if I have a client who comes to me like that, I'm kind of like, let's kind of think about this a little bit more because I'm not sure that that, that achieving that goal will bring about the desired outcome. What are your thoughts on that? So if someone comes to me and says, hey, Dan, I, I want to lose fat. I want to lose weight. Um, it'll make me happier. I would ask them why they think that. Why do you think? Why, why do you not? And not in a judgmental way. Because I don't know, I, I can't, I can't predict what will or won't make someone happy. But I just want to dig deeper and say, you know, okay, well, well, um, 
you know, what, um, why do you think it'll make, it'll, it'll make you happier, you know, uh, you know, and take things from there. Maybe they say, you know, it'll, they'll be, they'll have an easier time dating, you know, I don't know, or maybe, maybe they will, um, uh, you know, they'll, um, feel healthier or they'll, they'll be able to fit in their clothes more, you know, or maybe, uh, better, you know, or maybe they will, uh, be at lower risk for diabetes and they'll have less anxiety over that. You know, suddenly then we've kind of identified several other things, you know, with, with dating, you know, it's, it's, you know, is it, is it really a, a, I need to lose weight issue or is it a confidence issue, you know, um, you know, wanting to, uh, you know, kind of fit in our clothes, you know, same thing. Um, and that's not to, to necessarily dissuade someone from, from losing weight. Uh, I see some practice practitioners do this where they say like intentional weight loss is inherently bad. I don't agree with that, but I just think it's important to also set realistic expectations about what, you know, fat loss will and won't do and to know why we're doing it. Um, you know, because if it is, you know, just because we think it'll, it'll help us, you know, um, with dating, we might be in for a disappointment, you know, and it might also make sense to focus on other areas like developing a sense of humor or developing a healthy, healthy sense of self-confidence, uh, from there. So, you know, it, it, it really comes down to just, just, getting getting to someone's why and, and and really as a practitioner taking time to listen um to listen to your client and 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 really listen you know um you know and, and being able to sort of restate you know what they said back to you as well because sometimes people sort of hearing their own words um you know and, and having their, their own kind of thoughts reflected back to them can sometimes bring up some light bulb moments you know Absolutely. It makes me think of the quote, uh, I only know what I think when I hear myself speak. So if you yeah. can reflect back to somebody uh, what they say, then they can really understand themselves. Um, and it makes me think of expectations then as well. So it's like, uh, I think a lot of people, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but they have this kind of belief that fat loss, it's it's absolutely achievable. Like to lose whatever amount of body fat they want is achievable and that they can keep it off. But in my experience, it's very difficult to, once you put weight on, it's very difficult to lose it. Um, and it might actually be the case that like whatever kind of body you're in at a current time, you might have to kind of stick with that and kind of try and improve other areas of your health outside of your body, um, your body weight. So uh, how realistic do you think it is to lose, let's say, 10% or more of your body fat and keep it off for the rest of your life. So I'm going to use my, my kind of cop out answer again, and that's, it depends. Um, a lot of it in, in this case really depends on where someone is starting, you know, so you said like 10% of your body weight. So if someone is currently at a spot where they are significantly overweight, you know, where, where losing 10% of their body weight would make, put them most likely in an objectively healthier, you know, body composition, body fat range, um, then that probably is more doable. Um, you know, although that doesn't necessarily mean it'll be easy, you know, we know just, just, you know, from, from literature that losing and maintaining a significant amount of weight, uh, it is the minority of people are able to do that. Um, you know, but if someone has a lot of weight to lose, it'll be easier. Whereas if someone is already, you know, maybe they want to, they're already like, you know, with their shirt on, they, they, they don't look like, you know, overweight or whatever, but they want to get shredded. That is going to be extremely difficult. I don't, I never, I don't say impossible because I, I, I mean, I think technically most things are possible, but I think, you know, for someone who's already doesn't have a ton of weight to lose and they're looking to lose a lot of body, a significant amount of body fat, that's going to be very, very difficult. Um, and, it, and there's a decent probability that it'll have adverse effects on physical and mental health. But again, it depends on the person there. You know, um, anecdotally speaking, I do find that people tend to kind of have like a body fat kind of settling range that their body kind of likes to be at and performs optimally at, you know, and once we go below that, uh, it, it, it's very difficult to maintain and, and, um, both, both for, you know, physiological and psychological reasons. Um, so again, it depends, you know, and, and I do think that that kind of settling point to some extent can, you know, maybe be adjusted by, by, you know, uh, adopting certain, you know, uh, long-term behavior and, and lifestyle changes, you know, whether it be increasing just kind of daily activity or, 
you know, eating a diet that's higher in, in, in fiber and in, in fruits, vegetables, protein, that kind of stuff. But there definitely is, you know, a threshold for pretty much everyone um, whereby if you try and get leaner than that, um, it's the going is going to be rough. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, I think we're somewhat limited in how much body fat we can lose. But would you what, what do you think of this? So then it's kind of like how much body fat or how much we can affect our body weight is limited but how much we can improve other areas of our health is you know it's kind of up to you in a way so for example your mental health or physiological markers like uh maybe blood pressure or heart rate or you know how much weight you lift on a bar for example or muscle mass there so if 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 someone was to look past fat loss um and kind of put that to the side as maybe a secondary goal and they focus on something else more uh manageable or actionable that they could make a lot more progress in other areas of their health. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I would definitely agree with that. I think there's a lot of instances where, you know, someone, regardless of where their current body weight or BMI is, um, where they can um, make, you know, uh, um, you know, realistic changes to their lifestyle, whether it be with their nutrition or their exercise or their sleep habits or how they're managing stress to improve their overall health, physical health, mental health, you know, uh, if someone's not eating a lot of fruits and vegetables, you know, probably by eating more, that's probably going to be a good thing, you know, whether it just be from the vitamins and minerals and phytochemicals, you know, that are in, you know, fruits and vegetables, we know people who eat the in, in the high people who are in the highest quartile of fruit and vegetable intake tend to have the lowest rates of cancer and, and chronic disease, right? So even if you don't lose a pound eating more fruits and vegetables, if you don't already eat a lot, probably a good idea. Same thing with exercise. You know, um, you know, there is data to indicate that independent of weight loss, going from sedentary to, you know, being more active, you know, uh, uh, can increase health markers and reduce risk for chronic disease. Uh, so there's a lot of examples of this, you know, strength training too. Uh, so certainly we can improve various aspects of our health without necessarily losing fat. And that's important, you know, because I think especially in social media, a lot of us, you know, tend to focus on fat loss. Um, at least here in, in the United States, I think it's a big part of like our culture of, you know, wanting to be thin or ripped or, or super lean, but that doesn't necessarily always equate to health improvements, um, you know, and it can be really unrealistic for, for a lot of people. So I think it's just important that we have a broad definition for what being healthy truly looks like. That's a really good point. Yeah. A broad definition because there's so many different types of people like, uh, for example, like fruit and vegetable, the example you gave, if someone was to eat more fruits and vegetables and it improved their digestion and they had like fewer digestive issues, that would be a huge improvement to their quality of life. Yeah. Or if somebody was able to do like, you know, a uh, hundred kilos or, or 220 pounds on the bench press to 25 on the bench press and they started at 50, but these two changes were independent of fat loss. So there was no fat loss, but they improved their digestive, digestive health or they improved their bench press. Like their quality of life could be way better and they didn't lose anybody fat. So that's a really cool thing. Yeah. yeah to keep in mind. Yeah. So absolutely. So another great post you had, Dan, was uh, obesity is not due to being lazy. And I feel like this is, yeah. you know, something I have a big issue with that people, but to be fair to, you know, the general population, I think it's kind of from uneducated sources, it's kind of put out there that like, if you're overweight, you're lazy, you know, and I definitely would have like believed that in, in some, you know, part growing up, but then you just, you know, you, you kind of get a dose of reality and you see that some people just, they uh, are trying really hard and they still can't um, change their body composition. So uh, can you talk a little bit about that post and that just that whole idea and how actually even in a broader sense that the majority of adults in the US are overweight? Yeah, so there's a lot to this. And it's funny, you know, when I put up that post, I did get some comments that were, you know, very like anti, you know, they were very like, you know, you're saying that, like, like, you're just giving an excuse, like people just, you know, need to, you know, work hard, and, and you're giving an excuse for people not to work hard. And, you know, that's not what I'm saying. You know, I do think for many people, like for, for probably the majority of people with obesity, they, they, they do have, you know, the ability to, to lose weight and, 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 you know, potentially improve their health that way. But it's also important that, we, you know, as practitioners and just in the general public acknowledge that 
you know, if it was as simple as just being lazy, we wouldn't have such high rates of obesity and, and related chronic disease. It's it's a, a, a pretty complex, there's a, a whole host of reasons, you know, that are behind, um, you know, why obesity is as much of an issue as it is now. I mean, a big part of it, um, you know, at least in the United States is how, how much our food environment has changed, you know, and how, you know, uh, calorie dense, hyperpalatable food is a lot more around is, is a very abundant, you know, um, now and how for, for a lot of people in a lot of environments, it's difficult to get in physical activity. You know, I think especially for people who might be of, you know, lower income, they might be in environments that are not as conducive to being active or walking. Maybe they can't afford a gym membership. Um, you know, maybe they uh, have limited access to healthy food. You know, I think for a lot of us, you know, having a supermarket nearby or grocery deliveries taken for granted, but not everyone has that luxury. Um, something that is also absolutely huge that people don't appreciate is the effect of, of you know, mental health, um, you know, and how that, that can affect our eating habits. Um, because, I mean, there are people who, you know, and I've worked with plenty of people who, you know, for their entire lives, have used food as a means of coping with really difficult, uh, um, you know, depression and anxiety and trauma, um, you know, and that is not a willpower issue. Um, you know, that, that is, you know, that, that is a deep kind of psychological, you know, issue that is not just, I stop that's, it's not like that. You know what I mean? Um, you know, and if you've, ever dealt with, you know, significant anxiety or depression, you know, that it's not, it's not a willpower issue, you know, um, there are certainly genetic components as well that predispose some people, you know, to, uh, you know, obesity more than others. Um, there's just a lot, there is a lot, you know, at play, um, there. And, Again, I'm not trying to say like, oh, like, like, you know, that weight loss is bad or that that, you know, people who have obesity shouldn't try to lose weight. But uh, it's important that we that that we don't fall into the trap of of shaming people for their weight, because that does not work, you know, uh, and that's something that is actually an obstacle for people who have obesity, who, you know, who who do want to improve their health is is, you know. Uh, weight stigma from the, uh, you know, from practitioners who write them off as just, you know, being, you know, fat and, and lazy, you know, or people who have obesity who um, avoid the doctor because of, you know, stigma that, that, that can, that, that can, um, you know, bring up, you know, and being shamed about your body, you know, um, or, you know, you have got a genuine medical issue and the doctor kind of just, you know, shrugs it off as just, you need to lose weight. You know, we need to, as practitioners, uh, be kind of more uh, compassionate and empathetic uh, to the various kind of the, the nuances of obesity, um, you know, and we need to be mindful of that so that when we help people who want to improve their health, we don't, we don't fall into the trap of telling people that they just have to work harder because that works for a minority of people, but for most people, it doesn't. For most people, just, uh, just focusing on willpower alone does not work. Um, you know, so it's, it's, it's not, a, 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 it, it's not me trying to like, kind of, like I said, sort of make people who have obesity feel good or anything like that, but it's just about being a decent human, you know? Um, it's about understanding people more, you know? Um, so yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's, it, it's, yeah, I don't know what else to say about that. Yeah, no, it's it's about uh, being fair with people because um, basically, like, for whatever reason, and that's this is my follow-up question, but why do you think obesity is on the rise? It's a case of uh, the reality is whether we want to say that it's laziness or whatever, it's like the majority of people are unfortunately overweight. So it's like, given that fact, what's the best approach we can take? And to call those people, the majority of adults in the U.S., and, you know, we won't talk about any other country, but just in the US to call them lazy. What good does that do them at all? You know, it's like if somebody's in debt, we wouldn't just be like, you know, you're financially incapable. So, you know, uh, figure it out yourself or try harder. It's like, no, let's try a different solution. You know, it's 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 kind of just meeting people basically where they're at and and, and being fair to them. So, um, yeah, that that leads me to my follow up question is um, why do you think if you ha if you had to guess 
and I know it's it's very complex like it's it's not a straightforward situation um why do you think that obesity has risen what do you think is some of the main causes for it you know what's going on so I don't want to say I'm necessarily like an expert on all the reasons why you know obesity has increased I think it's it's you know there's a a, a lot of factors there um you know, but I mean, at least in my professional opinion, I, I definitely think that, um, you know, like I said, I do think that changes in our food environment have, have definitely played a role in just the the kind of increased convenience of really tasty, hyper palatable, you know, um, uh, energy dense food, you know, that's readily available and oftentimes cheaper, more accessible, um, you know, certainly plays a role. I do think that uh, the increase in kind of just convenience in general, like, like kind of technological advances that have made life more convenient, you know, with, with, you know, cars and, and just, you know, other mobile transportation, you know, has mean, has, has meant that we don't have to move around as much. Oftentimes I think urbanization, you know, plays a role, um, you know, probably just, just, you know, just kind of technology in general, having kind of more technology, you know, available, you know, TV, cell phones, stuff like that, you know, um, a lot of people maybe aren't as active and, and, and don't spend as much leisure time, you know, engaged in physical activity. I mean, those are just a few off the top of my head. But like I said, I think it's, it's really, I think it's complex. Um, and I don't want to pretend like I'm an expert on all of the reasons, you know, why, you know, obesity has risen. And I, th- I think it, it, it's, it's, it's it's a nuanced factor. It's a nuanced um, problem there, but I, I do think that those factors at least play play a role there. Yeah, one hundred percent. Yeah, we don't actually. Uh, when I say we, I, I guess basically uh, the experts who re- research obesity don't have a conclusive reason as to why so many people are obese, yeah. and uh, it's it's through no one's choosing. No one would would choose to be obese. It's just an unfortunate reality. Um, but people are working very hard and I think that, uh, we'll learn a lot more about it. And the best thing that we can do right now is give people a break who are, uh, struggling with their weight and to, uh, think of what we can do to help them as opposed to putting them down. Exactly. Um, Exactly. So a really kind of, uh, hot, uh, what do I call it? Almost clickbaity topic that you had, Dan was, uh, pre-workout is just overpriced, uh, caffeine. (laughs) So you don't really do much clickbait stuff, you know, um, and uh, this is just one that was a little bit more popular. So uh, switching it up completely. But I think a lot of people use pre-workout or I'll, I'll randomly think that pre-workouts are kind of gone, you know, like that, you know, that phase of people working out and being into their fitness is over. And then someone will be like, oh, yeah, I got this great new pre-workout. And I'm just kind of like, have we not learned kind of back to your point off air of repeating things to people? It's like, have we not learned that pre-workout is not really um there's a, it's a whole lot of, it's a, it's a bit of smoke and mirrors in my opinion. So yeah, what is your opinion on, on pre-workouts? And uh, I know that you've got like, uh, your whole background is nutrition. So from like a nutritional point of view, like what's going on with the pre-workout versus caffeine? Yeah, I, and, and let me say like, and, and I mean, my, my caption on that was more nuanced, but you know, inevitably a few people just saw the picture and was like, oh, this is bullshit or whatever. And I kind of posted that as like kind of a tongue in cheek kind of meme because I thought it was funny. Um, but the idea with that is that in most most commercial free workout formulations, caffeine is really what's getting you most of the performance enhancing benefit, um, you know, for the most part. Um, I mean, and, and then oftentimes the other ingredients that are in there, um, you know, they, they don't have a huge effect or they might be a bit underdosed. I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying those non-caffeine ingredients have no effect, you know, cit- uh, citrulline, malate six to eight grams per day uh, of, of, you know, of, of citrulline malate and two to one ratio of citrulline malate, of citrulline to malate, you know, um, you know, can, can maybe increase a little bit of strength and power performance. Um, uh, beta alanine, that's the stuff that gives you the tingles in pre-workout. Um, that from, if I'm remembering correctly, can help with a little bit of longer duration stuff. Um, not as much with just kind of pure strength you know, but, but I think reps to fatigue that might be a little bit, um, better for, you know, there's some evidence looking at, at betaine on the potential benefits of that. Um, you know, but, but, but basically it's, it's 
what I guess my point was there is that most of the benefit you're getting from most pre-workouts is from the caffeine. And if you did want to save your money, you could just have straight up caffeine. Like I use caffeine gum, uh, you know, or coffee or something like that. But at the same time, if, if you have a pre-workout that you enjoy taking and you don't mind spending a few extra dollars, nothing wrong with that. You know, again, I just thought it was a kind of like a, I, I kind of came up with the idea of the meme and I was like, I just think this would be a funny meme and it got almost 2000 likes. So take with that what you will. If you want to use a work free workout, it's fine. But if you're looking to save some money and you still want to have a great workout, uh, I mean, you could just have nothing, you know, or, you know, if, if you're not training in the evening, you know, just sticking with caffeine, I think is just fine. Um, you know, or just some carbs. Yeah, I got a kick out of the post. I thought it was hilarious. Um, yeah. And I know from experience that the pre-workouts almost get me like too amped up, whereas uh, coffee is cheaper and it gets me kind of like uh, worked up or I don't want to say worked up, gets me uh, ready for a workout um, yeah. with fewer side effects. And yeah, it just makes me think then, um, is there any studies comparing coffee to a pre-workout? um versus like nothing at all and and is there any kind of like evidence to say coffee alone is better or a pre-workout's better i there might be i'm honestly not familiar with uh with them off of the top of my head you know i'm more i'm going based on the research looking at specifically you know caffeine versus these kind of other individual ingredients i'm sure there are um in fact i know there are studies looking at specific pre-workout formulations but I'm, I'm i'm not aware of any off the top of my head that are comparing just caffeine to caffeine plus beta alanine and betaine um but there might be just out there i just haven't you know looked at them um uh so so i'm not a hundred percent sure then and again like it's not one of those like like it's kind of just like a tongue-in-cheek thing like if you want to pre like it's not gonna hurt unless i mean you're taking it at night and you know it affects your sleep you know or you take too much of it and, and you know but it, it's it's you know and if, like i said if you want to save some money and you wanted to just have caffeine i think that'll work just fine yeah absolutely i've i've used pre-workout caffeine tablets Cups of coffee, I think uh, cups of coffee are the simplest, most enjoyable yeah. and most cost effective pre-workout you can get. But, you know, until someone's tried them all, they're kind of always wondering what if. So keep that in mind. And um, if you're on a budget, I would just recommend coffee. So For sure. another uh, very interesting topic is uh, sweeteners, like low calorie sweeteners, non-nutritive sweeteners. What what does uh, the research say on those? Because uh, I've heard some people say or there's some actual research to say that these like sweeteners can cause cancer, uh, which is like very scary. Obviously nobody wants cancer. It's a terrible condition. So it's like, I'll just avoid them. But uh, is there any health benefits to using sweeteners? Do they cause cancer? What does the research say? What's your opinion on them? So specifically non-nutritive sweeteners. um, I know there are people, it's one of those topics that people, uh, you know, if you do some Googling on artificial sweeteners, you'll see all kinds of claims about all different you know, kind of health uh, issues. Most commonly, people worry about cancer or, you know, diabetes or obesity. Um, from my understanding, all of the research I've looked at in humans does not support, you know, a, 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 a causal effect there. Uh, some, I mean, you, you will find some rodent studies here and there where they give us a mouse, like a bunch of aspartame or something like that, and they'll have more cancer. But um, I think even the rodent studies, you know, um, that, that kind of looking at them as a whole do not suggest that, that, that you know, artificial sweeteners, you know, are, are, are linked to cancer or, you know, diabetes or, or really anything like that. Um, you know, they, they've gone through some pretty rigorous safety testing, um, you know, and when, you know, when, again, I'll just kind of stick to the United States, um, when the... Um, I believe it's the FDA set the uh, adequate daily intakes of, of different uh, sweeteners. It's basically a, you know, they, they determine the highest level of, of intake that's considered safe, you know, based on the available literature. And then they add in a, a 100 fold, a tenfold or 100 fold safety factor in there. And then that's the, the adequate daily intake. And, and it's, it's, you know, quite a bit of artificial sweeteners per day that you'd have to have to get up to that. Um, so, the risk there is very, very low. Um, 
So I don't think it's really something that you have to worry about with regards to cancer or really any other health issues. Now, am I saying that everyone, you should just drink tons and tons and tons of Diet Coke and have just tons and tons and tons of this stuff? No, probably not. Um, you know, but I, I don't think, you know, uh, on our kind of hierarchy of priorities when it comes to fitness and, 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 you know, uh, nutrition, I don't think it's something that's particularly important, particularly, uh, something that we really need to worry about all that much. And if anything, there is, uh, you know, some research in humans, um, suggesting that when people replace sugar sweetened beverages with artificially sweetened beverages that we do generally see decreases in body weight and, and, and improved blood sugar control. So if you're going to use it as a replacement for, for sugary beverages or a lot of sugary foods, I do think that's a step in the right direction. Absolutely. Yeah. I am uh, not an expert on sweeteners. I'm not a dietitian. I'm just a simple personal trainer with my uh, mm-hmm. postgrad. But I would say if someone was to switch from a full calorie soda, full calorie, uh, your, your typical drink and, and swap in, you know, diet or, or lower calorie sugar for the full calorie version, they would improve their health over a lifetime. I would like, I would bet a significant amount of money on that, you know, but of course I'm not the, the expert. So don't take what I say, you know, seriously. Yeah, I would, I would agree with that. Um, good. So good to know I have your, you on my side. Yeah. Um, so the final question, Dan, I won't take any more of your time, but supplements is something that, uh, I think a lot of people spend a lot of time thinking about. Um, and you know, it's kind of hard to know what's the real stuff, what's the fake stuff. Just my own stack is, uh, I take a, a multivitamin, I take uh, fish oils, uh, creatine, and then whey protein. Um, I feel like that's a very bro stack and it could be a lot more sophisticated, uh, what do you recommend to like your general client just for general health and well being? And then is there anything that's kind of like, if you're looking for a little bit more of a health benefit, that's maybe not as well researched that might be worth considering? Yeah. So, I mean, I think for most people, a multivitamin is a pretty low, low risk, low cost option there, you know, just something, just a general multivitamin, just to kind of, you know, assist in making sure you're getting all your vitamins and minerals probably is a good idea. Uh, for people who don't already eat a, a, a decent amount of fatty fish, uh, and a, a fish oil or an omega-3 supplement um, can probably be helpful there. Um, and for people who either, um, you know, have a vitamin D insufficiency or deficiency or don't get a lot of sunlight or in, air, or in the area of the world um, where there isn't a lot of sunlight, um, maybe supplementing with vitamin D would be a good idea. Although I do think it probably makes sense to get your levels checked uh, before you do that. Uh, if you are interested in strength and hypertrophy specifically, um, you know, five grams per day of creatine monohydrate uh, will will probably offer a small benefit there. That's really it. I mean, you know, if, if someone has a specific vitamin or mineral deficiency, you know, they could do that. You know, I talked about caffeine being helpful for, you know, working out. And most of us probably use caffeine in some form or fashion just to, you know, wake up in the morning and, and kind of feel a little bit more alert. There are not, there aren't really any more that comes to my mind that I think are particularly um, notable, honestly, when it comes to that, comes to that. I think, you know, uh, supplements, most supplements are, you know, in my opinion, um, overrated. Great. And I love how you didn't mention uh, pre-workout. I'm a big fan of that. People saving (laughs) their money. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Just a question I'm thinking of is, do you think that everybody in the population bar people with, um, I think it's kidney disease. Should they uh, supplement with protein based on the benefits, based on the research? Should should the majority of people, unless contraindicated, supplement with protein? I don't think so. I don't. I don't. I don't. I don't think so. I think it's if someone is looking to increase pr- uh, protein in their diet and they're unable to do so with food, then I think supplementing with protein can be a good idea. But I think just just supplementing with the protein powder just because I don't think makes a lot of sense. Um, you know, if you, if you are someone where you're not already getting a decent amount of high quality protein from, you know, uh, meat, poultry, fish, dairy, or eggs, um, you know, or tofu, soy, um, particularly if you are, you know, looking to build or maintain strength and muscle, and that's important to you, um, you know, then I think it can be a good idea. But it's definitely, I wouldn't, I wouldn't supplement, say supplementing with protein should be a, a recommendation for everyone you know um you know and if you're if you're looking to lose fat in particular maybe because of the potential for for increased satiety but i I, 
I don't think it's something that's necessarily applicable to everyone. You know, I think plenty of people can live a long, healthy life and just sort of eat, you know, include a decent amount of, you know, whole food protein in their diet. Just be fine, you know. Interesting. Yeah, I'm not sure. Am I so biased that I can't see the the truth or do I need to do more research? Maybe if I have you on again, I'll have a better uh, case for why I think everybody should supplement a protein. Um, but I've taken enough of your time, Dan. Is there anything you want to wrap up with? Any message you want to leave people with? Um, You know, I don't think so. Just like I said kind of earlier when you were asking me about um, about kind of lessons I've learned, you know, not 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 taking life too too seriously um you know and there's there's a balance between working hard towards your goals and 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 and, you know you know wanting to do things and and having lofty goals but also enjoying life and, and like i said not taking things too seriously yeah absolutely like fitness is additive to our life like we said already exactly exactly yeah exactly so we can uh definitely enjoy uh improve our health without uh Thanks very much, Dan. Thank you.